uh, in Acts this morning. Acts chapter 2. We finished chapter 1. Uh, it only took us like a month and a half. Now, we only preached two messages out of it, so only two of those weeks were Acts. But, you know, you can tell somebody, my pastor spent two months in the first chapter of Acts. You know, in the Baptist world, that'll go a long way towards uh, me rising up the rankings. No, just kidding. No. But we are going to jump into Acts chapter uh, 2 here this morning uh, in a passage of Scripture that, boy, it gives us some weird imagery to you if you stop and think about it for too long. Uh, so that's what we're going to do because I don't know about you, but again, we already talked about me as a kid earlier this morning. I'll say it now as well. When I was a kid, the idea of a tongue that's cloven and on fire appearing above my head sounded pretty awesome to me, as long as it didn't light my hair on fire. Because back then I had enough of it that I wanted to keep it. Now I have to keep it long like this because that makes it look like I have hair. No. Let's jump into Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 13 verses here this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It reads like this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Strap in, these next two verses have a lot of really weird names. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Familia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. I want to start this sermon by saying we are mostly in here, Northern Baptists, and whenever we speak about tongues, we all get a little antsy sometimes. So let's discuss, number one, I know I didn't, give you a blank in this on your note sheets, but number one, speaking in tongues. I want to point a few things out before we jump into the real meat. First off, this is not the spiritual gift of tongues as is outlined in Ephesians, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. It is a different thing entirely. I am not preaching on the gift of tongues today. Again, it's a different thing entirely. If that gift happens, there also must be the gift of interpretation that happens. There is no interpretation that happens here. We read it. They all heard them in their own language. They are two separate things. I'm not going to talk about the gift today. So if you go, Pastor, do you believe in speaking in tongues? Yes, I do. We just read that it happened. 
Pastor, do you believe in the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues? We're not talking about that today. That's a different sermon. You can come and ask me about it. I don't like to make Baptists or Pentecostals happy on that book. When I first went, so right, so most of you know, right, I grew up 10 years or so in an Assemblies of God church, which is Pentecostal, and then I went to an Assemblies of God college for one year before transferring to Baptist Bible College and then eventually becoming the pastor here. And on my first day, I was moving things into my dorm room. My RA walked into my room and said, so, you go to a Pentecostal church. First off, how'd you know that? But yes, at that time I still did, and goes, so what do you think of speaking in tongues and women as pastors? And I'm like, ah, so we're just going to open the can of worms immediately today. I've not even moved in yet. It was great. We had a great time. He didn't like me very much. No, that's not true. He liked me. It's okay. You're allowed to laugh at that. Most of you are sitting there going, yeah, we don't like him very much either. No, no. But I want to put that out of the way. We are not talking about the spiritual gift of tongues today. This is a unique moment in right there. It has happened before in history as well that we read, but this is the first idea of this specific type of tongue happening. And it's an incredible thing because this whole thing had a purpose. So let's talk a little bit about the past, right? We talked about Jesus right before he ascends into heaven, tells them, go into Jerusalem and wait. They don't wait. They go into the upper room. They spend some time praying, right? We read last week, there's about 150 or so of them all together. It's a pretty cramped room, I would think, but whatever. I don't know about you. I'm hot right now, and we've got air conditioners. I can't imagine what that room must have just smelled like. I'm out. No. But they're all supposedly waiting. Peter gets a little impatient, but, you know, we talked about that. And what did God have them waiting for? He did not tell them. He told them he was sending the Spirit, but not fully what was going to happen afterward, right? He told them what? You'll have my Spirit, and you will have power to preach the gospel. He told them nothing about utterances. He told them nothing about cloven tongues of fire, because I think, there's a couple of reasons. One of them, I think God has a sense of humor. And I think God was sitting up on his throne just kind of chuckling to himself just a little bit like, boy, one of them is going to freak out. It's going to be that one right there. He, they're going to freak out real hard when this cloven tongue of fire appears over the head. This is great. I'm in. I think the other part of it is, show of hands, has God ever told anybody in here the entirety of the plan? Anybody? Good. If you did raise your hand, you're lying. God does not often, as far, I won't say never, because I won't put God in that box. God does not often tell everybody, the, tell you the whole plan. He tells you what you need to know. That's it. Most of you in here are older than me. I know of only two of you right now that aren't. Maybe three. I don't know, how, how old are you in the, all, yeah, how old is he? How old are you? Yeah, all right, so I've got three people in here younger than me. Four. Boy, I can count today. Yeah, so you guys, right, the older generations love to go and say things like, boy, this current generation just feels like they need to know everything. Yes, we do. I'm here to tell you something. So do you guys. And so has every generation. What did Eve want? 
knowledge of good and evil. She wanted to know more than she was supposed to. It's been since the beginning. We're not special, neither are you. This is the way that it works. But God is not in the business of that. And I say this because a lot of you guys have been parents and grandparents and stuff. And you know, you don't tell your kids everything. They don't need to know everything. They shouldn't know everything. If you've worked in a business, if you've been a manager of some kind, you know, you don't tell your employees everything. You tell them, if you're a good manager, what they need to know. God tells us what we need to know, not what we want to know. Because most of the time, if we got what we wanted to know, we'd have way too much. We wouldn't be able to even handle it. So he tells them what they need to know. And here's the thing. This whole moment, right, this rushing wind that comes in, the cloven tongues of fire, and they begin speaking, it has a singular purpose. Salvation. When you are filled with the Spirit, and yes, I do 100% believe that the filling of the Spirit happens today, and I don't just mean at salvation. I'm not going to stand up here and, and preach about tongues or something like that, but I do believe, like for instance, the filling of the Spirit, Peter and John were filled with the Spirit when they made that lame man walk on the way to the temple that day. We're going to read about it in a little bit in Acts. They were filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is to show God. He uses you to reveal himself. And Lord willing, eventually salvation. That's the purpose. Number two on your note sheets, the responses. Because the people had three responses that they had. And when you, listen, if somebody in here comes in with a tongue of fire above their head and starts speaking in a language I don't recognize... I will probably have at least one, if not two, and knowing my personality, probably all three of these responses. Just saying, it's a natural thing. Now, yes, God doesn't often do that anymore. But when you are in the Spirit and doing what God has asked, you get these responses. We're going to read next week um, about the sermon that Peter preaches, that thousands of people get saved. But let's set the stage for what started that sermon, right? So, here they all are, and people can hear them. And everybody that's a Jew is in town right now, right? Everybody that's a Jew is in town right now, from all over the known world. That's why we read all of those, and they all would speak different languages. The disciples and the rest of the people in the upper room were not necessarily speaking a different language. The Holy Spirit was causing you, the people, to hear them in their own language. It would be like if right now through the doors came a wide range of Asian people, right? Because Japanese is different from Mandarin Chinese, which is different from Korean, which is different from Vietnamese, right? All of that. Plus all of the different Hispanic uh, dialects because Spanish is different in Spain than it is in Mexico than it is in Central America and then we get people from Brazil who speak Portuguese and they all walked in here and I'm still speaking English they might pick up certain words but they wouldn't know what I was saying I don't speak any of those languages I can say hello in like three of them I could ask you where is the bathroom in Spanish I used to be able to say the blue hippo is sleeping, 
I can't say that anymore, but I used to be able to say that. But I don't speak another language. I speak English, and that is iffy sometimes. But they all walked in here and understood what I was saying in their own language. That's what happened right here. And they have three massive responses. The first one is amazement. They're amazed. Listen, when you are doing what God has asked, people will be amazed because things are happening that shouldn't be able to happen. When you are doing what God has asked you to do, when you are walking in the Spirit, God does things through you. Not you can do things. God does things through you that otherwise would be impossible. But all things are possible with Christ. You and I don't have the power. God does, and he tends to work through us. And people are amazed at it. That's a good response. Amazement, right? Think about the last time you were amazed. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe it was, I don't know, um, I'll tell you the last time I was amazed, you guys will think it's stupid. It was not the birth of a child. It was last night when Reese Hoskins hit a 450-foot bomb into the left field seats. I was amazed that somebody could hit a baseball that far. I can't get it out of the infield. Right, but you think about the last time you were amazed. It's a good thing. It makes you just, you're in awe. And it usually will lead to the next one as well. Perplexity. How could a guy hit a ball that far? I will tell you right now, I'm going to preface all this by saying, Maddie is not pregnant. But Lord willing, one day she will be, and one day I will be a father, and one day, Lord willing, I will watch as the birth of my child, and I will be amazed, and I already know my first thought is going to be, how did I make this? What in the world? And then my next question will be, oh, I have to take care of this baby now. I am perplexed at what to do next, right? But but amazement usually leads to questions. You want to know, and they were asking, what does this mean? We are hearing them in our own language, right? It's in verse 12. 12, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? That one question will lead to Peter being able to get 3,000 people saved. What does this mean? When you are walking in the Spirit and doing what Christ has asked you to do, people will be amazed and they will ask questions. How can that little church be getting people saved? How can that little church get hundreds of kids through a VBS? We didn't have hundreds of VBS. We only had, we had like 40 or so. But how could that little church do that? How could that little church get hundreds of people through uh, Light the Night and stuff like that? Because we're doing what God asks us to do. When you do what God asks and you walk in his spirit, people are amazed and it makes them ask questions. Questions that we then get to answer with. Well, let me introduce you to the one who makes it possible. Put aside programs like that. All of us in here have walked in sin. You might be in sin right now. But I also know that at least most, if not all, 
walk in righteousness. And when you are a changed person, there is no greater miracle than that. And it causes amazement. When you show it, it causes amazement and it makes people ask questions and it allows you to say, let me introduce you to the person that pulled me out of the pit that I was in. Because he can pull you out of whatever you're into. There is one more response. It's not a good one. Verse 13 says, but others were mocking and saying they are all full of sweet wine. Here's the thing, right? It's incredible. In the next verses that we're going to read next week, Peter will get thousands of people saved. Exponentially more than that, walked away. Having never known Christ. And most of them, never knowing him in the future either. More people will mock you than will be amazed. They will. I want to make this abundantly clear. I said this on, on July 3rd, I think, was actually the Sunday this year. But when we, when we talked about freedom and such, right? When you are free and you walk in freedom, yes, people will question. They will also push back against it. You see, this world does not want you to walk in God. Culture does not want you to. Jesus himself, in the book of John and elsewhere, right, says, they hate me, they will hate you too. Now here's the thing, I also want to say this. You live in the United States of America, it is the greatest country on earth, you and I do not face persecution. We face tribulation. We do not face persecution. If you think we do, Head over to the Middle East, or China, or Canada, where pastors are jailed, or England, or literally any other country in the world. You and I have it very good in this country. Very good. We don't face persecution. You and I do face tribulation. We don't face persecution from a government. You might be facing persecution from your job, you might be facing persecution from your family, from your friends, from the people around you. You don't face full persecution yet. There is coming a day. I'm not going to stand up here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a doomsayer, a doomsday person going, in two years if we don't elect this person. No, no, no. I just know what the Bible says. And it's coming to the whole world. Whether it's a Republican, Democrat, conservative, Green Party, I don't care who's in office. It's coming. Because I, the Bible is clear that it is. You will be mocked. You will be persecuted. Back then and today in other countries, people are put to death for this belief. Right now, you are not asked to do that. You are simply asked to just live. Take the mocking. Yeah, it stinks sometimes. Yeah, sometimes when you're like, man, I don't get to watch Game of Thrones because it's probably not a good thing for Christians to watch that show. But all my friends watched it. Now, apparently the last season really sucks, according to everybody, but I don't know. Just watch Lord of the Rings. It's better anyway. It was written by a Catholic. It's okay. No, it was, but either way. You will be asked to give up certain things. You will. Okay, hop on. 
you will be mocked. They're just full of sweet wine. They're drunk. They'll get over it. I love Peter's response. We'll read it next week, but I just want to put it out there. Because Peter gets up there and goes, it's 10 in the morning. What do you mean we're drunk? Some of you in here might go, mm, 10 in the morning's a little late. No. no, just kidding. We'll read. Peter's a bit sarcastic. We'll read that next week. But the fact of the matter is, you will be mocked. Okay. If you are mocked by 100 and one gets saved because they were amazed and asked the questions, is that worth it to you? It was worth it to Jesus as he hung on the cross. He's not asking you to be crucified. This whole moment of Pentecost is not nearly as much about speaking in tongues as it is about the response of people to us when we walk in the filling of the Spirit. Whatever that looks like. Right on a Sunday morning, the filling of the Spirit for me has not been speaking in tongues. It'll be up here when Maddie and I are leading worship, right? Or when we're preaching. For you, it might be during meet and greet or when you're out there saying hi to everybody or whatever, right? Speaking, or not speaking in tongues, being filled with the Spirit looks different because we are different people with different talents and abilities. God's not going to fill me with the Spirit and then go, go up there and do a chalk drawing like your mom does. It will look worse than my nephew's does because he's actually a decent artist. If we put them side by side, you would go, this one's the one that's done by a five-year-old, and no, it's actually done by the 28-year-old. He won't do that because he knows he didn't gift me that way. He's not going to come to you and go, I fill you with the Spirit. Get up there and sing. If he didn't give you the gift of singing, and it's okay if he did not. Right? He, he gave us different gifts and abilities. And when we walk in the Spirit, people are amazed and they ask questions, and yes, they mock us. Okay? I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it because my God told me to. And he's the one deserving of it all anyway. He's the one who's going to get all the honor and glory and praise anyway. We've talked about, right, we're right in the beginning, but the book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the, of, the, of the Apostles, or I like better, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is the first one. And we immediately see the responses from people. You will have those responses in your life too. Here's the thing, if you've ever accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you went through amazement and perplexity as well. You might have gone through mocking. In fact, you probably did, even if you weren't standing up there actively mocking. It's all right. The Holy Spirit's still working. And yeah, I don't know that I'm ever going to preach a sermon that gets 3,000 plus people saved. At this point in my life, he has not called me to do that. I don't know where he's going to call me tomorrow and to do what. I know that when I walk in the Holy Spirit, though, amazing things can happen. And they happen each and every day through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the point of Pentecost. Would you pray with me? Father, we lift you up here this morning.
I thank you for Pentecost, not because of tongues or anything like that. And yeah, fun imagery of fire and stuff like that. Yeah, it's great. But because of what it represents, what it means for us, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that you today will still put your spirit through like a mighty rushing wind in the moments when we need it, in the moments when we're supposed to use it, in those moments, and lives get changed, people get saved. It's an incredible thing. Father, we praise you. We ask for a safe journey on all our way homes here this afternoon. Bring us back here next week. Father, it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.